Hello, this is Mark Bryan, otherwise known as Double O, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirate. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is July 17th, 2021. Mikey, I was going to make a joke about is there any news around, but wow, I don't think it seems appropriate at this point. This is a tough one, man. I just, you know, you always ask me, how am I doing? And I, this one, this one hits hard. I mean, sometimes the the summer series is all about fun interviews and, you know, looking forward to the upcoming season. And you, know, you hope that your program never has to deal with this kind of stuff. But here it is. You have Miles Powell, an iconic player for the Seton Hall program. You know, he's, he's front and center for everything that's been good about the program in, in recent times. And it's a gut punch, man. It's It's a black eye. It's an ugly situation. I, there's so many different things that you can say to describe it, and none of it's good. And and the end result, as we're going to talk about this with J.P. Pelsman on today's show, there's so many different angles that we can spin this. None of it on the back end comes out smelling like roses. And I can put on the blue tinted glasses all I want. I, I don't know how we're spinning this, Tom. Well, Mike, I think the only word that comes to mind is shocking. Wednesday evening, you could have just knocked me over because I'll tell you what, I didn't have Miles Powell versus Seton Hall, Kevin Willard, and Tony Testa on my bingo card, man. I mean, what a crazy evening. I mean, at first we saw the tweets going out. We're like, are you kidding me? What could this possibly be? You know, we'll get into the minutia. We'll get into the details shortly with JP. But I think Marcus Tony L., friend of the podcast, summed it up when he basically said, when the family feuds, no one wins. Don't you also find it interesting? I mean, we're not, we're not deep in the know as we do this podcast, right? We've had some like nice guests that come on that give us some insight, but we're kind of fans like everybody else, just following along with the program, you know, getting a little eccentric as we kind of get into the wins and losses. But the reality is, somebody's always out there going, well, I knew this was going down. I knew we were going to get this recruit. I knew that the new coach was, was on the horizon. Nobody, nobody is claiming I had inside info that this was about to drop. This hit like a ton of bricks. I think, I just think there's a, like you said, there's a shock and awe factor and the emotions are raw. And right now people are forming their opinions or they don't even know how to react. It's, it's just a unique situation that I haven't seen as my uh, as my time as a Seton Hall fan, no. And, and the craziness—it's it's Miles Powell, the beloved pirate, 
He's got to be the most popular pirate of the last 20 years. I mean, from the minute I saw him in his freshman year, I said, this kid's going to be special. I, anybody else? You would have told me anybody else. I would not I'll, have been I'll, 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 play, I'll play along. I'll play along. You know, Desi slips on the floor up at the dunk center, right? And I can so see and, Desi suing right? Providence, and I'd be all for it at that point. Okay, but but it's like you said, it's it's Miles, right? It's it's nobody. There's a lot of great players that we have had, but Miles is up there at the top of the list. You and I were debating: Do we have a Miles Powell versus Terry DeHair? all-time goat podcast and just kind of go mano a mano with what they accomplished. Uh, I know you, you you didn't want that podcast because you knew you were going to end up on the losing end of that. Terry takes that title, baby. I, I'm not saying that Terry doesn't. I'm just saying he's, he was in that conversation that that's the magnitude of the kind of person we're talking about. And I think that just kind of ramps it up to a level that takes all the emotions and just amplifies it. it it's, it's it's shocking. You use the right word. It's, it's just shocking. Absolutely. So let, let's not delay any longer. Let's bring in JP and talk about this craziness. He has over 30 years of experience writing for daily newspapers, including Newsday and the record of Bergen County. He is currently a contributor for Forbes.com and covers Seton Hall basketball on the Rivals platform. Please welcome back to Left Coast Pirates, J.P. Pelsman. J.P., how are you today? Pretty good, Tom and Mike. Good to be here. Oh, thanks for coming back to the show. Before we get started, how have you been doing throughout the pandemic? Uh, hanging in there. I mean, uh, it's been it's been difficult uh, work-wise, but uh, things are starting to obviously open up again, and so I'm hoping that will be lead to an uptick in work. And uh, it was good to have a season last year, even though it didn't work out for the Pirates the way people had hoped. I mean, it looked like it would be good for a while, but then obviously down the stretch, uh, kind of hit a, hit a rough patch. They just couldn't uh, offensively get it done. But uh, I, I think there'll be good things coming this season, so we'll see how that works out. Are you anticipating getting back in person at the Rock next year? I would hope so. Yeah, I think that's the way it's trending. So that's, uh, I think that would be good. And I think I think they missed us a lot. I'll be honest with you guys. I think they missed us a lot. I think uh, uh, pros not so much. I think the pros were glad we weren't there. But I think <laughs> us. I think I think they liked that interaction. I think I think there was something missing without it. And uh, certainly colleges, I think, need the the pub a little bit more than the pros. They can uh, they feel like they can make their own. Uh, their own splash without us. I think the colleges need a little bit more. All right, JP, let's get right into it. The Seton Hall community was hit with an absolute bombshell on late Wednesday evening when it was first reported that Miles Powell was suing Seton Hall University over misleading him about an injury during the 1920 season. Like I find it hard to believe that this just manifested itself out of nowhere. There were rumors that this was like, you know, rumbling behind the scenes, but based on the stunning reactions, I don't think people saw this coming, right? How long has this situation be play, been playing itself out behind closed doors? Uh, I had not heard anything about it. As far as I know, Seton Hall was totally blindsided by it, guys. They did not see this coming. This was a total shock to everyone. It was This was not something they knew was coming down the pike. I mean, nobody knew this was coming. I mean, we had heard during the season – Coach Kevin Willard talked a lot about how Powell had tendonitis in his right knee. They were managing his his practice time, managing his practice workload after he came back from the concussion from which he missed two games in December. 
They talked about how they had to uh, treat him differently in practice. As I said, uh, limit his workload, limit his minutes in practice. But never did we hear about anything like that behind the scenes. The word meniscus was never mentioned during the season. I can tell you that. It never came up. Uh, again, I don't, I'm not saying that has anything to do with the case. I'm just saying it never came up. Uh, obviously, we, we saw the photos. We remember that night against Villanova, the tearful pregame hug between him. I, I mean, I posted of course, yeah, yeah. my story. Uh, so believe me, this, this came as a complete shock to everyone. I can tell you guys for a fact, everyone connected with the program, that when this, when this lawsuit was made known to Kevin Willard and everyone else in the Scene Hall family, they were, they were stunned, I can tell you that. Yeah, but but obviously, though, there's going to be a lot of speculation and assumption with not everybody knowing what was going on or nothing leading up to it. Is it safe to assume that Powell's representation already presented the idea of a settlement and Seton Hall just held firm? I mean, hence we have this lawsuit. I can't answer that. I don't know. I don't know what uh, I don't know what they're looking for. I'm not a lawyer, nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting to me that there is no dollar figure asked for. Again, I don't know if that's customary in these suits, but that was the, the first thing that jumped out at, at me, sirs, was that there was no dollar figure asked for. I mean, usually it would seem to me you would you would put some kind of dollar figure out there and then start from there if you were looking for a settlement and then work your way down, but it, it just asks for unspecified monetary damages. So I, I don't know what the angle is. I mean, again, it, it just seems to me that they, as far as I know, they had no forewarning of it until it was actually filed in Essex County Superior Court in New Jersey. Well, obviously, it's been a confusing couple of days, JP. I mean, the most popular pirate of the last two decades who publicly sang the praises of his coach and seemed to support the program, he comes out with this lawsuit. And from the outside, it seems to come out of nowhere. You know, just as you mentioned, there were no signs of any discontent or anything of the sort. But literally one week ago, the school posted out a happy birthday tweet to him. To Actually, they even said to a goat of Seton Hall. And it's still pinned on his feed. I mean, so... So clearly this was a tightly guarded situation. Otherwise, you're not putting out tweets like that just days prior. Since then, what have been the reactions from the staff, the administration, and the current team? Well, I mean, no one's talking. I mean, they obviously they're not going to uh, comment on a current current lawsuit. And I mean, I don't know what, I mean, and obviously they're, they're pretty much locking things down. I mean, you can't really blame them for that. Uh, they, they really can't comment. And uh, obviously, I don't think they want the current players involved. I'm, I'm, I mean, I know on Twitter, Quincy McKnight kind of made a tweet that kind of seemed to support Miles. And you would understand that. he They were, they were super tight when they played together. Uh, but this is a thing that can, can, can tear people apart, unfortunately. And uh, but I think we just, guys, I think we just have to let it all play out. I mean, unfortunately, this is something that we, we just have to wait and see what happens. But really, Seton Hall, I, I know it's cliched and people want them to come out and say something, but you really can't when it's something that has to play out in the courts. Unfortunately, we, we don't have much experience in seeing stuff like this 
go to a, a court of law. But when something like this does, the only thing you can do is let it play out in the courts. Uh, the court of public opinion doesn't help you here, even though it is key. But as far as a, a coach's reputation, an athletic trainer, and Tony Testa's reputation, but they have to just let it play out in the courts. I do. I can tell you this. They've filed a motion to have it moved to federal court. From what I can gather is that would make the burden of proof more difficult on Powell and his lawyers. So that's one thing they've done. But I mean, it's just going to be a long process and we have to just wait for it to play out. I mean, I can't see them settling because settling guys would be as I, I do know this about the law, because they call it a prima facie, which is on the face, I guess in Latin, admission of, well, we did do something wrong. So how can you settle? Because if you settle, even if you just give them some walking away money to make it go away, it makes it look like to, to the world at large, yes, we did know, we did cover something up. We, we did do something that was untoward. You can't have that if you're trying to recruit players to your program and run a good program. How can you have that hanging over your head? Like, yes, there's suspicion. We did do something that wasn't above board. How can you do that? Oh, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's one of those situations where even if you're just looking at it monetarily and saying, hey, from a elongated uh, judicious process or judicial process of what this is going to cost us to go through, it makes more sense to give them a couple bucks and save our, save our bottom line. To me, it's more about perception. You can't create that perception of any doubt or wrongdoing relative to a player's health versus a potential cover-up. You can't leave that lingering at all. Exactly, Michael. I'm not trying to be a wiseacre, but this isn't like making Bobby Gonzalez go away with his man purse. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, and we don't need some levity, but that was a different story. I mean, there, hey, it's a little bit of money, but it was better just to, hey, when they were trying, they were actually trying in court to to not pay him and say, well, he breached the contract because of all the nonsense he did. We're trying to fire. They were trying to fire him for, for cause. OK, so at that point, they're saying, well, we don't want to pay him. But as you said, at that point, it's like, hey, we, we, we just want to cut. They just want to. They're saying we just want to cut ties with this guy. Let's just pay him, pay him whatever he's owed or, or at least part of it. Just give him the walking away money. Get the headache out of here. We've cut ties with him. The, the, he's gone. That's a different story. Which is also very common, though, with they coaches, should. right? This happens with coaches. You end up on bad footing. You just want to tend to rip the Band-Aid off. This is a exactly. different precedent. This is a completely different precedent. You can't sit there and open Pandora's box to be like, hey, anybody else want to get in line for a handout? You, just, you can't play this game. That's exactly that's exactly right again. I mean, it, that's a totally different story. Than, than making a coach go away. This is a player saying, you guys wronged me and that you acted with bad intent. That's the difference here. It's, it's, it is so much different, whereas a, a squabble with a coach doesn't stain your program. If, if you admit that yet, even if you take, let's say legally you sign something that says you take no blame, that doesn't matter. The, that's where I get back to the court of public opinion. That's where the court of public opinion would come in. The court of public opinion would say, well, if they paid him money to shut him up, that means they did do something wrong. And then every, every other school is going to say, well, Seton Hall paid Miles Powell money to go away. I guess they did do something wrong. Why would you want to go there? So that's why exactly anyone who, 
who equates this to their own fender bender and says, well, you pay money to go make it go away. No, this isn't a fender bender. This is your school and your coach and your trainer's reputations at stake. No, you have to, as you said, no matter how much money it costs, you have to fight it to the end. You, have, you really have no choice or else you, you don't have a program on solid footing. So you mentioned Quincy putting out a tweet, and I just wanted to kind of get that out there. He actually said, and in all caps, mind you, if you weren't behind the scenes, keep your comments slash opinions to yourself. Now, unfortunately, that's not how the world works or the Internet. So, you know, everyone's <laughs> going to have an opinion about this. I mean, it's just going to be talked about, especially with how shocking it was. Well, exactly, Tom. But the, but again, I guess the thing I wanted to come on and say when you when you guys invited me was, and that's true, but but in the final analysis, that's none of that's going to matter. I mean, what I and maybe I'm anticipating the question, but what I want would want to know if I am a juror, when and if this comes to trial, if if I mean again, I don't know how the discovery or now I'm talking like I'm in law and order, but if it's discovery or pre-trial hearing, if it does get to 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 a full civil trial, if I am a juror, what I want to know are two things. First of all, I want to know when, I want to know, does he have proof? I mean, I don't care what the judge's charges are, to be honest with you, because we all know, yes, a judge can charge a jury this, that, and this and that with the law, but that doesn't always mean that a jury actually listens to it when they revert. Now, granted, that could open up an appeal, but I feel like, the, the, to me, there's two keys with the case, again, this is, again, from a non-attorney, a non but somebody, if I were putting myself in the shoes of a potential juror. Number one, okay, they, they claim he has, he has a torn lateral meniscus. Okay, fine. Can he prove that that tear began when he was at Seton Hall in the 2019-20 season, meaning I would like to see somehow a dated MRI from that period. That would be the smoking gun. Secondly, and this is obviously we know that from knowing basketball. Now, again, can you get a jury of people that are basketball neophytes or something and they don't know and, and, and you parade experts to show them if you're the defense? The thing I would also need to show is that, hey, just because you scored 2000 points and you were named this, that and the other thing, that does not guarantee you to be an NBA lottery pick. I mean, that's. I mean, that's the part of the lawsuit that, let's face it, we all look at and you say, come on, that's just not re realistic. So let, let's do this, JP. Let's actually put some of this lawsuit into context because, you know, we're getting down to the sure. probably the, the final verdict. But let's kind of put it into perspective for those who might not have read it. And I'm not going to read the whole damn thing, but no. let's highlight some of the key points that sure. relate solely to the injury itself. Because if you're reading some of these bullet points, they're listing his accolades and I, I don't see the relevance. I want to hone in on just the injury aspect of what they're trying to claim. So point 13, Powell could have entered the draft after his junior season, but coaches and particularly his father wanted him to graduate as an incentive. Coaches advised that Seton hall would purchase an insurance policy in the event he was injured the following season. Point 16, he was examined by the coach or the coaches and team doctor after an ankle injury in the Stony Brook game. Point 20, throughout later games, Powell continued to feel pain in his right knee, so much so that his practice was limited. Point 21, whenever he would ask Dr. Testa about the pain, the doctor would advise 
it was just a bone bruise and that playing on it would not exacerbate the injury. And then point number 26, what Powell did not know is that the defendants knew that he had not just suffered an ankle injury and concussion during the season, but a lateral meniscus tear to his right knee, which should have necessitated his sitting out the rest of the season. So to summarize, basically, he has knee pain that pops up sometimes after his ankle injury, continues to play through the pain. He believes the staff knew about the, the meniscus tear the entire time, all while he's being shot up with pain meds just to get him on the court. You know, he's directly claiming that they blatantly ignored his well-being for the betterment of the result on the court. I mean, here, here's where I want to go here. If the medical negligence were to be true, how serious of an allegation is this for Kevin Willard, Tony Testa, and the Seton Hall men's basketball program? Remember, if. Oh, it would be a tremendously damaging allegation, but, but also I want to speak, Michael, to the question of also, is this also where he's conflated? I mean, this seems to have been hastily done because Tony Testa is not an MD. There is a Dr. Anthony Festa. Yeah, I read, he put it in quotes, though. He put it like Dr. Festa in quotes, and then he kept on referring him to his Dr. Testa. But he never mentioned Festa. Yeah. Festa's not mentioned. Yeah, he's, I'm not saying it was written well at all. Point was, no, no, but Festa's <laughs> never mentioned. No, no, he puts he puts Dr. Testa in one of his. I know uh, that, but, but, but there's a Dr. Festa. Correct, correct. Yes. He should, but I think he's conflating two people. That's the problem here. Possibly, but the point is he's, he's, he's placing blame on the organization, period. Oh, I understand right? that, but my point is it's it's sloppily done in that he seems to be almost like a uh, like a, a screenwriter. He's kind of he's kind of conflating <laughs> two people into one, which you can't do that in a lawsuit. You kind of have to get your no. They got they got to get their ducks in a row, and then they they did. I think they have to. I think they have to refile it. Also. Sure, sure. But, this. but the bottom line message. But the bottom line, yes, no. That's that's a damning. That's a damning uh, allegation that they were were basically yes. They were basically ignoring his well being to win basketball games. I mean that it doesn't get worse than that. But again, how if he had a torn lateral meniscus. How did he pass a physical to play for the Knicks in the preseason? How did he pass a physical to play for the Knicks in the G League? And again, no one's, I've never seen this in print for sure, but the assumption is that he must have failed a physical for the Bucks. Uh, yep. Okay. Sign him to a two way contract after the Knicks dropped it, but I've never seen that for sure. But that's the assumption. It's not in the complaint. But I just want to know again where did, when did the minute again? I'd like to, how, how can he prove when the meniscus, torn meniscus happened? That to me is at the, the crux of this. If he can't prove that it happened back then, I, I just don't understand how a jury can, can, can find Seton Hall culpable. That's just my, again, but I'm not a lawyer. Right, and it, and it would seem that if he had continuous knee surgery, the school would have sent him for an MRI, I mean, knowing how many knee surgeries I went through, every little twinge in my knee, the doctors used to send me for an MRI to see if I tore anything. So you would think that there's documented proof somewhere along the line. Yes, you would think ex exactly, Tom, that there are MRIs out there. And and, and again, then the, the, the assumptions just, again, that I just feel like Seton Hall could produce basketball personnel people that would refute, I mean, the idea that if he shut it down after the Stony Brook game, let's let's forget the pandemic happened. I know that's impossible to do, but let's just pretend that it was a normal run-up to the draft. 
who would be drafted? And, and forget the fact that he was not a draftable player anyway. Who's going to be drafted, who was a marginal NBA prospect at best, after he shuts it down two games into his senior season, never plays again, and then picks it up for the, the NBA combine and the workouts? I mean, unless you were a top 10 player, you're not getting drafted. I mean, it just, it just, I don't understand some of the language in it. And now I know these guys are good. They evidently were involved with the Maurice Claret suit a while ago with the NFL. I'm not saying these guys don't know what they're doing, but you read the, the complaint guys and it feels like, it feels like one of my, my term papers at Hofstra. It feels <laughs> like the night before, I'm just being honest. It just feels like it was done too quickly and as you and as you said before, Michael, it's like I don't care about reciting these accolades of what he did in these games. Why, how is that relevant? Well, well, that goes along to the next point. Now, you know, after the initial shock of hearing Powell was suing the school, Willard and Testa, Mike and I obviously jumped into this thing hoping it wasn't too complicated. And, and, and lucky for us, the complaints are not all that complicated. But as you pointed out in your article. Point 27 is where my whole opinion on this case turns and whether that's fair or not, you know. So point 27 is such. Such a standout career capped off by a successful senior season should have guaranteed Powell to be selected as a lottery pick in the NBA draft. But professionals connected to various teams in the NBA had suspected or discovered that Powell had a serious knee injury and had gone untreated. Now, you end up questioning, like you just mentioned, the understanding of NBA basketball after reading this. You know, players with injuries have gone into the draft and have gotten picked. You know, as examples, Greg Oden went number one in 2007, even though he had problems. More recently, Joel Embiid went number three overall in 2014. And even more recently, Michael Porter Jr. went 14th in 2018. And then the Nuggets actually debated whether sitting him for the first year due to all his back issues would have been the the right choice to make. And, you know, past that, players with spectacular college careers either get drafted later than their accomplishments would predict or not get drafted at all. I mean, let's, let's just point to a recent graduate and and look at his his uh, potential in the NBA. Luca Garza, he was right. AP Player of the Good Year, two-time All-American, Wooden and Naismith Award winner, two-time Big Ten Player of the Year, two-time All Big Ten, and the 2021 All Big Ten Tourney uh, Player. I mean, he's got a laundry list of accomplishments and accolades that Miles Powell couldn't even pass, and now. If you look at NBA.com, they've got a compilation of many mock drafts. Not one of them has got him listed as a lottery pick. As a matter of fact, most projections have him going in the second half of the second round. While many Seton Hall fans got upset when Miles Powell didn't get drafted, you know... That's more because he was the heart of the team for two years. Even when this last season started, he was putting up big numbers in the G League. And fans were of the opinion, well, how is he not in the big leagues? So, in your opinion, what were the main reasons he didn't get selected at that time? 
I mean, again, I am no NBA expert, but to me, it's pretty obvious from what I can gather is he's too, I mean, really the, 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 the problem is he's, he's not tall enough. I mean, if he were two or three inches taller and he can't, he's not a good enough ball handler. I mean, I looked it up and I put it in the story. I mean, career total, 303 assists, 279 turnovers. That's simply not good enough. And Kevin Willard gave him chances. I mean, guys, you'll remember those last two years, they were not, not that he let him run the point that often, but there were a lot of times he let him bring the ball up and he wasn't good at it. He would get his pocket picked. He's not a strong passer. Uh, not like Whitehead was. I mean, Whitehead wasn't a pure point guard, but wow. I mean, he could zip some passes where you'd say, whoa, how did he see that guy? I mean, sometimes guys would drop them because they weren't even expecting them. They didn't, they didn't know he could see them, but Miles is not a plus passer. He's not a plus defender. Also, I should mention that too. I mean, he tries, but he's not a plus defender. He's not a plus passer. He's not a plus ball handler. He does one thing very well. I'm not saying he doesn't try in the other areas, but he doesn't do anything well. And if you're going to be undersized, let's face it, 6'2 is probably cheating. Where, where I mean, that's generous, and, uh, pretty generous. If you're not 6'4", 6'5", you're not making it as a shooting guard in the NBA unless you are just dead-eye from three. You have to be hitting 45%. You have to be, I mean, it just it's just he's not, he doesn't have an NBA body for the position he, he's trying to make it in in the NBA. But this shouldn't be a surprise for Powell, JP. I mean, the, the feedback he got from testing the waters in the NBA, you know, combines and stuff after his junior season was that he needed to work on his ball handling skills specifically for the ability to play point guard at the next level. Yet he comes back and you kind of gave some examples of Willard giving him a shot to demonstrate those skills, but he comes back and he's being used as a dominant volume scoring shooting guard, which is what they should have used him for. That was his role in the college game, a la, you know, uh, maximizing his talents like Iowa did with Luca Garza. They didn't try to make Luca Garza uh, a stretch four. They told him to get his ass down in the paint and go dominate. Yeah, they let him sh- shoot an occasional three, just like they let Powell handle the ball occasionally. But do you think Kevin Willard, or maybe you think he's even a little bit bitter that Kevin Willard didn't play him at the point guard role? To develop his skills to be drafted? I, I don't know, Mike. That's that's a fair that's a fair question. I don't know, but as I said, the few times he did it, it didn't work out well. I saw him get his pocket picked a few times. He couldn't create for others. He could create occasionally, he could, but not on not on a consistent enough basis. And he just and let's face it, something was off with him. I thought it was more the concussion than anything else. I guess now he's saying it's more the ten. It's the ten or the meniscus, the alleged meniscus. Again, I, I'm not saying that as a wiseacre. I'm saying because that's the claim of the lawsuit that has to be adjudicated. But I thought it was more the concussion. I don't think he ever really, I don't know if it was post-concussion syndrome or what have you. I don't think he ever totally got over that. I also think, I think he was pressing at home. I think he was trying to put on a show for the fans at The Rock. I think, I think he played a lot better, I thought, in his season here on the road other than the Michigan State game. He played a lot. That's another one. If he had a, he had a torn meniscus against Stony Brook and then he, he lit up Michigan State for 37, that's another story. But I just think that's the thing. So that's why I also I'm dubious about how would they look into insurance on someone who after his junior season, there was not a single person that thought he was a sure shot NBA pick at, at that point. 
you can only take out insurance if somebody is, is a lock cinch draft pick, whether it's basketball or football going back. So again, there's just so much in that suit. Again, I'm not, again, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't make that determination, but you look at it as a basketball person and you're like, wow, I, I, I just don't know about that. So does that make you believe that they didn't even take out the insurance policy? Because you have to be able to put a dollar amount relative to the potential earning in order to then back up what that policy is going to look like. So if, if these insurance providers are like, wait a minute, you want first round lottery type insurance guarantee. There's nothing here that get, you know, in our opinion is going to guarantee that he's a first round lottery pick. Like we, we just broke it all down. So it sounds like maybe an insurance policy was never even put in place. Mike, the complaint was very nebulous. It didn't look as if I couldn't tell for sure, but it was nebulous. It, it looked like it wasn't, it looked like it was talked about, but it wasn't, but I, I couldn't say for sure yes or no, but it looked like it wasn't, but I, I can't be sure. Are, are my skin's crawling here a little bit just because it seems like we've been bad mouth and Miles. We love Miles Powell on the court. And you know, unfortunately, I think what happened is he fell into what I'm terming the Seton Hall disease. I mean, we've had nothing but stellar two guards that were six foot two were under. I mean, we can go through the history of Seton Hall. Terry DeHair was, in my opinion, the best Seton Hall pirate in the modern era. Six foot two has a cup of coffee in the in the NBA. Johnny Morton puts up a still record 35 points in the national title game. He gets a cup of coffee in the NBA. Danny Calandrillo, third team All-American, last place Big East team, Big East player of the year, without a three-point line, gets a cup of coffee in a tryout with the Celtics for crying out loud. I mean, unfortunately, that's what happens with six foot two shooting guards. They just don't translate well, no matter how talented they are, into the NBA. It's a different hey, game. Hey, hey, Tom, does Seton Hall disease also translate to point guards? It feels like all of our point guards were like five, ten, and under. You know? <laughs> Holloway, Barrett. Jeez, come on. Well, I mean, just it just it's a different game. It plays by a different set of rules. You've got guys that don't produce in college, but they happen to be 6'8 and can shoot a three and they're athletic. And all of a sudden they get 10 year careers in the NBA. It's a different game. Or can block shots. Right, right. Well, I mean, well, all right, but before we move on to the next question, that's a great example of Sammy. Sammy did not have a dominant Seton Hall career. He was probably still developing his game, but he got drafted to the NBA based on potential, and his game continued to develop at the next level for a prolonged NBA career. But he was not a Seton Hall great while at Seton Hall, right? So, all right, so I feel better about myself a little bit now, but, you know, at this juncture, we keep talking about the court of public opinion and right now Seton Hall fans seem to be split there are those trying to wrap their heads around Miles actually suing the school and the other group unfortunately seems to believe that this is an attempt at a money grab by Miles you know missing out on uh, on the NIL opportunities not getting drafted not signing that two-way contract with the Bucks. so JP if the results of this litigation do not end up in Miles Powell's favor. What has he done to his legacy as a pirate? Wow. Wow, Tom, that's a good one. I mean, uh, it, I, I don't know uh, unless he 
would would apologize or some do something to 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 make it right. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, I can't see him sitting courtside and being recognized uh, by by Tim McClune and getting some kind of ovation. I just can't see that happening. I mean, right now, I mean, I mean, yeah, this this would it would if if this goes to trial and he loses, it looks like uh, unless something happens in the intervening time, this I mean, it would look like a, a heel turn of sorts, I guess. But I mean. Again, we, we have to let the, everything play out. We don't know what's in his heart or his head. We, we don't know what happened. I mean, we, we just have to let this play out and let the facts speak for themselves. I mean, none of us were behind closed doors. We don't know what happened. But, I mean, it's, it's a shock to me, sirs, because I've never, heard, I've never heard any rumors of malfeasance. Let's put it that way. I do want to say that. Well, well conversely, say he wins, say the... It comes back, the jury says the school, Willard and Testa, did something untoward, if so to speak. What does his legacy look like there? I don't see him getting that ovation regardless. No, but then how, how, how does the program survive? I mean, you, I mean you, you would have to move on from that. I mean, how would Coach Willard survive? I don't know how, how you would be able to go on from that. That would be a, a, just a devastating blow for him because how could how could you recruit after that? I mean, that would just be a scandal, a scandal, just a horrific scandal. Right, so, so let's talk about that. Now, you know, if it were to land on the other side of the of the verdict, how much does the negative? Well, you know, forget about that. While we're even exploring, you know, this this legal process, how much does the negative PR directly impact? the immediate recruiting efforts. That's hard to say. I mean, you know whether teams are going to try to use it. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. I think that's up to Seton Hall to try to combat it as best they can. And and they have to, obviously they can't come in publicly, uh, Mike, but they have to try to let recruits know that this is not who they are. That, again, if, if, if it's not true, that they have to let people know this is not who we are. These are not, these charges are unfounded. And we do take care of our players and et cetera, et cetera. They have to fight it as best they can behind closed doors and on the recruiting trail because they can't be silent on the recruiting trail. They can't just say, well, they certainly can't tell recruits, well, it's a pending legal matter. We can't talk. They have to go on the offensive with them and say, no, 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 this is not who we are and don't listen to this. But but you're right. It's something that certainly other teams are going to put in their uh, – Arsenal and say, well, look at what's going on at Seton Hall. That's just how recruiting works. That's a very good question, Mike. So, so I get the spiel. My question is, does it really hurt them, though? I mean, can they overcome that? Yes or no? I don't know. I'm not an expert. I think they can. I think Kevin Willard has a good enough ex- reputation that he can. I don't know. I don't know all the ins. I mean, again, that's I'm not a recruiting expert. I well, mean, I wish I were. Well, I'll tell you, they need to contact the Creighton PR department because well, it didn't go. seem like Coach McDermott's snafu last year stopped them from landing the number one Big East recruiting class, which includes four top 75 recruits for 2021. I mean, they they seem to have navigated those dangerous waters pretty well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. They have to, they have to do it that way. They just have to try to push ahead. And say, listen, this, this is, this, that's not our culture. What he's describing is not our culture. 
And if you come here, you'll see what our culture is. And we promise you that's not our culture. It's it, that's not that's not the truth. That's that's what they have to tell people. But it's just sad because this was a guy. Let's face it, Miles Powell helped bring in Bryce Aiken. I mean, this was a guy that they felt was someone who they could use as 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 a a calling card, as someone who could help them in terms of recruiting. It's just it's just so sad all the way around. All right, you you already kind of started touching base on it. If they once again were to lose, you know, in the in the courts, and it comes out that there was malpractice or you know uh, information withheld, uh, and and Miles kind of claims victory in the lawsuit, the guilt, how far could that set back the program? Oh, it would be it would be devastating. I mean, it, it it's I mean it, it would make them look bad. And again, it's I mean any program where it looks like the the program is being put. And the needs of the coach, the needs of the, the need to win is being put ahead of the individual student athlete. That's terrible. So it would, look, it would be a terrible look for them. I mean, I, and again, I don't know how he would be able to continue, how Coach Willard would be able to continue at that point. But Obviously, this predates me, JP, but people have been kind of throwing it out there. Let's go back into historical perspective here. Let's compare it to the 1961 point shaving scandal. Is it on that type of level? If that, I, I think the... that predates JP too, Mike. <laughs> Come on, let's, let's, not, let's not add some years to JP's life. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not that old. So, but but yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, the thing people have been throwing around is 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 uh, the 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 murder at Baylor, and I don't think it's quite that bad, but it, it's. It's not good. It's not good. I mean, there's a reason. I was thinking about this after you guys asked me to come on. There's a reason why, when you think about it, I mean, you think about uh, Tony, he's not a doctor, but Tony Teston. Again, I feel, I do feel badly for him because I've never heard a bad word about him. I do, do want to put that out there. In fact, I've heard he's, he's even more cautious than Kevin. But again, I, I mean, that's just what I hear. I can't. I'm not, I'm not going to be called upon to testify. I don't have any direct knowledge, but that's what I've heard. But there's a reason why you'll note, guys, that coaches bring in their own strength and conditioning people, but it's the administrators, it's the ADs. They're the ones that hire the directors of sports medicine precisely for reasons like this, because you can't have sports medicine people that are tied in with the coaches and have an incentive for wins and losses. For Tony Testa or anyone like him, it's 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 irrelevant if the team goes one and twenty nine or twenty nine and one, and it should be. Their only mission is to make sure the athletes, the student athletes, are okay, and it has to be that way. And if it's not, then something's wrong. You know, you mentioned uh, the AD, and last summer during our yearly State of the Program podcast with Brian Felt, I was giving him all sorts of grief. For not retiring Miles's number on senior night. Now, now imagine how awkward that would be right now. You'd think that's probably off the table at this point, no? Yeah, and I mean, I'll tell you what. I was one of the people who was probably in favor of that, and maybe now I, I, I get the idea of why maybe that's not such a good idea to, to do it uh, right away because you just never know if there's going to be, uh, not something like this necessarily, but there's going to be, disputes or what have you down the road maybe it does make sense going forward to always just wait wait until the emotion is gone wait until just the 
when the heads, when uh, cooler heads prevail, when you're not caught up in the emotion of a senior night, because you just never know what's what's quite what's going to happen. So yeah, I mean, maybe they did make the right call after all. Because I got to admit, guys, I, 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 Tom, I have to admit, I, I was thinking the same thing. I thought if anyone deserved to have it retired on on his last night at the Rock, I thought it was uh, Miles Powell. Something that keeps coming up left and right is that he's been getting bad advice from people, and now. You know, we had some pirate greats coming out echoing that. You know, we had Jerry Walker coming out in an article saying he wishes Miles would have come to him for advice before he did anything. You know, what advice do you think Jerry would have offered at that moment? I can't speak to that because I haven't talked to Miles, but maybe he could have taken advantage of just some of the guidance from some of, I guess, what Jerry was saying was was just all the alums that are out there and just maybe they could have helped him find something. Maybe they could have helped place him on a team in Europe or something like that, or help them with a business venture or something. That's, I guess that's kind of what he was getting at, but uh, I can't speak to what his financial situation is or, or what decisions he's made. I really can't speak to that. JP America loves a comeback, right? You know, and, and we've had different players go off the rails in different ways after graduation. We've had players get mixed up in law problems. You know, we've had the Kelly Whitney's, the Sticks Mitchell's, the Herb Pope's all have trouble with law, but I don't think fans ever really kind of wrote them off completely. But I think this one's going to be different. You know, I, I guess it's going to depend on what comes out of the trial, but if there was really, if it's really proven that there was no foul play, it's going to be hard for the Seton Hall fan base to accept Miles back in to the fold. So is there even a way for Miles to be welcomed back after all of this? I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know if, if uh, I don't know if it gets to trial and he recants. I don't know. I don't know. That's a great question. I, I don't have, I wish I had the answer for that. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting comparison. I can say that. Yeah, let me offer my opinion on this one, Tom. You, you gave three names in Sticks and Whitney and Herb Pope, and they were all, you know, very good ball players, but not, not in the stratosphere of a Miles Powell. We're talking about a guy that was debated to be on the Mount Rushmore of a Seton Hall program, which, you know, I, I think there's plenty of guys that, you know, earn the right to be in that Mount Rushmore conversation. And Miles was was in that conversation. He was games away from potentially breaking the all-time scoring record. You can't put those three guys on the same pedestal uh, relative to what Miles had accomplished, the success of the program while Miles was there relative to when those guys played. I, I, just, I think it's a different emotion for this fan base I, but to now go back and evaluate Miles because he brought them almost to the pinnacle of being a Final Four team. But, Everyone says that they played that tournament, Tom. They could make a Final okay, Four. Okay, Mike, they, he didn't bring them to any pinnacle. There was no tournament. Stop your, you know, I know you went on and did your your electronic tournament <laughs> brackets and he got to the championship game against Rutgers and had 42 points and won, Mike. But I don't think this has got anything to do with the level of success of the player, to be honest with you, bringing it to a more serious tone, Kelly, Sticks, and Herb, they hurt themselves. Miles, in this case, can be viewed as trying to hurt the program. Now, whether the program actually hurt him is a different story, but he's going after the program. I think people have an easier time forgiving people for transgressions that hurt themselves than when it hurts other things. 
I get what you're saying, Tom. No, I understand exactly what you're saying. Now this one, because this, well, this is a, see those, that, see, yeah, that, that's not a family squabble. This is a family squabble and that, that makes it different. This is, this is a family feud. I mean, there's no other way to put it. This is a family feud and th those aren't family feuds. Like you said, those are guys that, that w went to prison for, for other things that had nothing to do with Seton Hall. And I think people would be forgiving. And I know all three of them in different ways are putting their lives back together. And, and I know, I know with, with hope in particular, Kevin, he doesn't want people to know about it, but he's tried to help them. I mean, Kevin likes her. I mean, and he doesn't, Kevin doesn't look for credit on that. Kevin is a forgiving person. I mean, he really is. And I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I do think there's something to what you're saying, Tom. I mean, and it's like you said, it's different. I mean, this one, I, I guess the best word I could use is it's person. With this one, with the fan base, it's personal. With those, it's not personal. Like you said, whatever they did, what, what they did, and obviously they did serve their time, it didn't have anything to do with Seton Hall. I'm not saying it was right. Obviously, it was wrong. But they, they served their time. They paid their penalty. But it didn't, if you want to see, yes, it cast the program in negative light that they did they, they did wrong, but it didn't, it didn't seek to, they weren't personally going after the program. This is personally going after the program and going after people connected with the program. There's a big difference. So yes, there's a, I agree with you, Tom. There is a fundamental difference between the two, yes. Are, are we also holding the Miles to a higher standard because of how big of an ambassador of the program he was prior to all this coming down? I mean, everything from a recruit when they say, I got an offer, has Miles Powell graphic on it. Everything about the run the last couple of years when he was there was all about Miles Powell, you know, on a podcast, on an ESPN broadcast. He was the face of the program. So do we just assume that he has to carry that mantle for years upon years, like White has kind of done at times through social media? Do we have that a different expectation for him? I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't I can't, I don't know what the answer to that is. I honestly don't. I mean, I honestly don't. And, and I think that to me, that's where I think most of the fans are just really at this point, raw emotion of, hey, I had this man on a pedestal. And maybe this is not a fair comparison, but Pete Rose was held on a pedestal. And then the news of his, his gambling. I know, Tom, it's not the same, but it was the broken hearts of the fans who had invested so much in a ball player. And I kind of feel like that, is kind of how Seton Hall is emotionally attached to Miles Powell. I think, well, I think, but I think the thing that goes to Mike is maybe, maybe people do have to like somebody said said on the board. Uh, maybe maybe people do have to sometimes get as much as we all get attached, even in the media sometimes. As much as we all get attached to players, maybe people need to to get back to more worrying about the name on the front than the name on the back. I mean, I know it's cliche, but maybe maybe that's what we have to to all do because. Listen, I want one thing, and this is not a knock at Miles. It's not a knock at any of them. Believe me, I was disappointed on a personal level when I heard, when I found it, and it was the night, speaking of Pope, I mean, we just mentioned all three of them. I, I heard about it the night of the Herb Pope uh, punch, so to speak, uh, about the, the trouble that uh, Sticks and Kelly, Sticks Mitchell and Kelly Whitney got into. And it hit me hard because those were two of my favorite guys to interview. I mean, I had a very good rapport with both of them, but it just goes to show you we, both from media and from fans, we, we don't know everything about guys just because whether we talk to them in the locker room 
or whether we get autographs for them and talk to them at events. And listen, I'm not, I'm not making any judgments about Miles. He might very well be right about this. I don't know who's right and who's wrong. I, that's up to a jury to decide. But there, and there's two sides to every story. But, but again, like you said, Mike, maybe we shouldn't hold people on pedestals, and and maybe we need to stop making athletes do or and student athletes role models. I don't know what the answer is, but it's just hard to equate this with with the guy that would 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 stand and sit for 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 an hour signing autographs for youngsters it's it's hard to it's hard to uh equate it's hard to put the two together well unfortunately no matter which way the jury rules no one's going to win in this it's going to be hurtful for both sides but jp Thank you for showing up today. We really appreciate your time as always. Good luck with the rest of the year, and we look forward to seeing you on the sidelines this year. Uh, thanks, Mike and Tom. As I said before at the start, I wish we were under better circumstances, but thanks for having me on. I hope I, I tried to provide as much uh, as I could in this uh, difficult time. So we'll, 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 see, we'll see how it plays out, and I hope uh, I just hope it doesn't take too long to play out. I hope there's... there's uh, I hope there's a light at the end of this tunnel because it, the, the, the brighter days ahead and we'll be wearing our pirate blue glasses. You know it, JP. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. JP Pelsman, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates.